Recording in progress. Here we go. Episode 79. Callum, yes, what's up? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing, Dave? I am good, if a little bit overly warm. Um, yeah. I'm not long in from the gym and our shower doesn't go very cold. So, yeah, I've got the window open here and I'm trying to cool off as we talk. So... <laughs> Well, hopefully we're going to cool off a lot of issues with um, weight loss for beginners today. I see what you did there. I like that. <laughs> Very professional transition there. I like it. Would you like to introduce it? Uh, yeah, sure. So today we are going to cover at least nine tips for getting the best out of your fat loss results. Um, some of these are kind of obvious and you probably know about them already. Uh, some of them may not be as obvious and we'll go into each one as we kind of go through the list. So I think we're going to just uh, alternate back and forth on this one, right? Yeah, it sounds like a plan. I'm excited for this because hopefully there's some really cool nuggets in here that people may not have heard of that can help them accelerate their weight loss or fat loss, depending what their goal is. Happy days. Right. Uh, why don't you kick it off? Okie doke. So one? I think probably in the, in the kind of hierarchy of what I coach my guys and girls in the Transformation Academy is sleep. And I think sleep is probably the most underrated recovery tool that we have at our disposal. Everybody seems to overlook it. And for me, when you bring that to the forefront of anybody's fitness journey, they not only feel better and look better, but they have more energy they have more energy to work, to hang out with their friends, their family, and obviously hobbies and play with their kids and whatnot. And I did quite a lot of research on sleep beginning of last year because it was a huge thing for me to, to you know, create evening routines and morning routines, which we can go into, but I think we should maybe hold those routines for another episode. Mm-hmm. But if you're not sleeping between seven two nine hours um i once said seven to nine hours but missed out the the person never heard the two and like, there's no way i can sleep 79 hours <laughs> <laughs> what is that over a week that's like what 11 just over 11 hours a day yeah that's uh, some incredible sleep patterns that would be but, awesome but what um what the research showed was if you're sleeping less than seven hours the likelihood of you consuming an extra 350 calories the following day to help boost your energy levels increases dramatically. And if you're the type of individual that sleeps less than six hours, who are creeping into the five, potentially four hour mark, the likelihood of you increasing your calorie intake is an extra 100, 100 calories on top of that. So 450 calories in total. Now, if you're trying to lose weight and you've plateaued, and you can't understand why. So you're working out good. You're doing your calorie deficit in what you think is your opinion at this present moment. And your other management tools are in place. 
sleep is the obvious one to look at because an extra 450 calories can, or 350 calories in some cases, can be an extra meal. And generally it's confectionery, high sugary foods to get you through that slump generally around about three o'clock in the afternoon. So sleep for me is probably up there if with the most important um, part to look at for anybody's weightness, weightness journey, weight loss journey to begin with. Yeah. And the, just going off the back of that, the, um, the levels of hunger you experience tend to skyrocket and the levels of satiety between meals plummet. So you're more likely to eat more and feel more, more hungry more often through the day. Um, but yeah, that's a great one to kick things off. Awesome. Um, probably one of the biggest ones is knowing why you want it, understanding your why. It, wow. um, a lot of people, particularly, like this is a generalization, but particularly women tend to have this certain weight number in their head that they should be because they read it in a magazine 15 years ago or, you know, they've seen someone like a celebrity who is X number of kilos and that's who they want to emulate and they get this number stuck in their head and they end up chasing this external goal, which doesn't actually mean anything to them. It's what they think they should be. Now, obviously, if you've got weight to lose, then there is a role for that. But understanding why you want to lose weight, whether that is a health goal, whether that is to feel better, to move better, to have more energy, whatever it is, you have to understand why you want it and have some kind of um, internal drive to keep the progress going. Because um, external goals kind of can fade and, and kind of lose their shininess. But if you've got an internal drive to do it, um, whatever that may be, that can help push you through the points which are inevitably going to come where things get difficult, where life gets in the way and you find it harder to maintain the, the sort of new habits that you're trying to build. Um, so that would be my big one. Um, kind of knowing why you want to do it. I think that is absolutely, that's absolute gold because people look for motivation, right? And motivation, as you and I know, and maybe not a lot of people do, but it's a very transient emotion. And yep. when you on the why, the why equals the dedication. So the dedication on those dark, rainy winter mornings is what gets you through it, not the motivation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a good to transition that into their into the actual overall journey, which is sweet. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think that kind of brings me nicely into accountability aspect as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think with with the accountability and knowing your why, then it's setting you setting the individual up for massive success, right? So. I used the example on the dark winter mornings. Um, yes, it's going to be hard to go out and do it. Obviously, we're looking for an element of dedication to get into it. But when you have that level of accountability, be it from a coach, be it from a friend, family member, that's going to massively help you stick to your overall 
goal. So that's one aspect of accountability people can look at. You may have a different um, turn on it as well, because I think I just potentially uh, took one of your points by mistake. But No, not at all. Um, you cover it really well there. I think, you know, we're, we're all very good at making promises to ourselves that, yeah, this is what I'm going to do and that's what I'm going to do. And having your why set in stone and being very clear on that helps with that. But having someone to report to, like you say, whether that's a coach, whether that's um, like a, a Facebook group or a friend or family member that you have to say, yeah, yeah, I, I, the weather was a bit crap this morning, so I didn't go out for my morning walk or I just couldn't really be bothered. So I didn't go to the gym today. You know, you'll think twice about skipping that workout or the or the walk. Um, whereas if you, you know, wake up, it's hosing down with rain, it's cold, you can't really be bothered, but you drag yourself out and you go make get it done. There's a certain sense of pride, say, you know, reporting that back to your coach or your friend or, you know, whatever your accountability setup is. Um, so it makes a massive difference. Um, but yeah, the, the, those two, I think you're right, work really well, hand, go hand in hand really, really well. The uh, knowing why you want it and then being able to report your progress to someone um and it also works to help you figure out where their sticking points you know if, mm -hmm. if your accountability is slipping on say the workout front then if you've got a coach or a friend that you can bounce ideas off of and try and figure out why there's this kind of bottleneck in the, in the system at whatever it is they can then help you figure out a workaround or figure out how yeah. to you know to a, maybe change your plan slightly to make it a bit more achievable. Um, so it works both from making sure you make progress, but also making sure that the plan is set up well for you. Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, exactly, 100%. That's why I passed it back to you because I knew you could say it a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are we? Number four. Well, I think... Um, not many people, people overlook this, number four. And we've, well, I've got walking more. So daily movement. Yep. And, you know, everybody, everybody knows that walking is going to benefit you, but not many people know why or how it's going to benefit you. And they think that 10,000 steps is so far out their reach that they feel overwhelmed doing it. Mm -hmm. And that, in some instances enough for an individual to give up because they think there's no way I can hit 10,000 steps all I'm doing at the moment is only a thousand a day mm -hmm. so you know that's 10 times the, the amount that they're doing so whilst it's an arbitrary number that got plucked out there by by some genius that you know all us kind of fitness professionals and you know Fitbit and Garmin's kind of aim for yeah. to get our clients doing I think it's a really really nice place because it's a nice target because when you split that across the day now what I get um, clients to do is go out for a morning walk before they sit down at work because you know a lot of us as we're doing right now we're working from home and behind a laptop screen so mm -hmm. that commute is essentially taken away because they're not going to the train or catching the bus or getting off a stop early like everybody used to say to do in the past yeah so they're going yeah. for a morning walk it's separating their 
home, their room, their office from their actual life. So it's almost like they're going out for that walk around the block to their workplace so they can have a clear mind rather than sitting down and feeling flustered from essentially rolling out of bed to sit at their desk. Now, again, the same thing applies going into the afternoon, you know, lunchtime. A lot of my clients um, have an hour for their lunch. And whilst the tendency is there to continuously work through your lunch break, even taking 10 minutes out your kind of afternoon, be it at lunchtime or be it slightly later on, that again, not only provides you with a bit of mental clarity, um, it, only, it also allows you some fresh air, which you know, is great for your mental health. It gets you moving more mm -hmm. and it allows the blood to kind of circulate through the body. And what this is adding up to is you know, your evening walk, your commute home and potentially a walk with your um, partner then later on in the evening. But what all this adds up to is an increase in daily energy expenditure. And it's a daily energy expenditure that ultimately gives us the result that we want because we're therefore burning more calories. And when you burn more calories, you're losing, whilst in a calorie deficit, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on in this, um, is going to help that individual's overall goal of losing weight or losing body fat. Yeah. And yeah. it's something that you can do that everybody can do that's completely free, that you don't need to pay for. And it's overlooked so much because people are like, I've got my gym membership, I'm eating well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. It's the same as sleep. You know, sleep and walking more, for me, are the fundamentals of everybody's uh, weight loss and fat loss plans. And even if those individuals who are wanting to put on muscle, you need to recover, you know, so sleep's there. And you also need to walk to get the um, blood pumping as well which you know has many other benefits which we can probably do another podcast on itself yeah. purely yeah. on walking yeah. but um i think as a rule of thumb for those that are listening to this um in between if walking is something that's a little bit out with your reach eight to twelve thousand steps per day and that gives you a range so you're not feeling demoralized if you're not hitting that ten thousand because some days you'll hit 10,000, some days you won't. So give yourself a range to work to and always look to increase it as the weeks and months go on. Yeah, I think you nailed it with that one. But when you said that it's overlooked because it's so simple, it's, it's we tend to look for the shiny kind of things to kind of move us forward. But we, we forget to focus on doing the basics first. Um, and one of the ways that I kind of looked at the walking thing and gen, kind of daily movement generally is if you look at your total daily energy expenditure over the day, so your basal metabolic rate, um, your daily movements will meet your exercise activity and then your sort of thermic effective foods. If you've effectively gone from being fairly active, traveling to work, commuting, all the rest of it, to commuting from your bedroom to your living room to work, you know, you've potentially dropped your daily energy expenditure by anything from 10 to 20 percent but you're probably still eating the same amount so you've got less energy going out you've got the same energy coming in so even though you're eating potentially the same amount of food you could potentially you're, you're going to be gaining weight because your, your calorie balance is out of whack so making that, that kind of daily commute is a huge one for a lot of my clients you know, getting out for 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night, and maybe 20 minutes at lunchtime. There's an hour of walking 
which is potentially, you know, 6,000, 8,000 steps without really trying. You know, it's, it's just part of their day. Um, so, yeah, that's a great one. Sweet. That's good. Um, bouncing off of that one, um, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but the obvious one for fat loss or weight loss is being in a calorie deficit. Like, you have to be in a calorie deficit. And it's not uncommon. You've probably seen this as well, where clients have said, I am definitely in a calorie deficit, but I'm just not losing anything. I'm not losing weight. I'm not losing inches. Um, calorie deficits don't work for me. My metabolism must be broken or something similar. Um, and the simple answer is that they're not in a calorie deficit. You know, there's, they're, they're possibly eating well. They're probably eating healthily. But volume does matter. It makes a difference. So you need to find some way to get yourself into a calorie deficit um, that is sustainable. So um, there's three options that we use. And we talked about this a bit on last week's podcast, I think. So we've got the, the three meals, two snacks thing. So three meals through the day, two snacks, build them around protein, veggies, carbs. So your plate, so everything has to fit on one plate. Um, regular size plate, not like one of these supersized platter things. Um, and then your snacks are basically fit in one hand, um, ideally fruit or veg or protein based. Um, you could also use calorie counting. If that's going to be something that works for you, it's not going to trigger any kind of um, eating issues. Um, and what you're looking to do with calorie uh, calorie counting is to to build awareness around how much food you're eating that's what this is all about it's kind of understanding where your calories are coming from what you can maybe adjust slightly um and still enjoy all the foods that you like you don't have to cut anything out but you still can make progress um using that or you use some sort of portion control method like the um it's gone out my head precision nutrition hand size methods so um I'll put a link to the show notes in that for this for that one rather than trying to describe it because I'm rubbish at describing these things. And um, basically using your hand as a portion control guide, um, which you can pretty much use anywhere. Um, so that would be my fifth one is, is making sure that you've got some way to consistently and sustainably be in a calorie deficit. And it doesn't have to be a big deficit either. Like um, this is something that we'll probably talk about coming up but being in an aggressive calorie deficit is a source of stress you know if you're already stressed trying to be too aggressive with this is just throwing more fuel onto the stress fire like so you just maybe have to rein it in a wee bit and be in a smaller calorie deficit and accept that progress is going to be a little bit slower um but you have to be in that deficit somewhere so um what sort of deficit do you recommend for your clients just out of curiosity no, I think, that's good. I think that's a good question. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this have probably heard about calorie deficits over and over and over again. You know, it's nothing new. It's not rocket science, you know, fitness influencers and fit pros and all sorts. It's all over the internet that you need to be in a calorie deficit. But mm -hmm. I think one of the big things that is not explained is how to create a calorie deficit or how do you even get to those numbers? Yeah. And you and I, um, you know, both are able to do like super fancy long um, 
equations to ensure that people are getting the right amount. But I think, again, that's just adding extra stress into individuals' life. So mm-hmm. um, it was uh, it was Jordan Sayat, wasn't it, that came up with this, uh, this mm-hmm. formula yeah. um, that I'm a way to probably go with. But for anybody who's wanting to find out what their calorie deficit should be to begin with, I mean, realistically, what you have to do is take your goal body weight. So I'm not talking initially about all of a sudden 10 kilos off. Let's do it in, let's do it in segments. So, um, but your goal body weight in pounds. Mm-hmm. And if you don't figure out what that is, it's uh, 2.2 pounds to a kilo. You can do the maths there. And then you multiply that by 12. And I think that gives you at least a starting point mm-hmm. to work towards your goal body weight. And I would always say to people, always say to clients, it's important that you at least adhere to that to a certain degree, 80%, 90% of the time for the first two to three weeks to find out where that puts you. And afterwards, if there's no significant change or you're not noticing any differences in scale weight or body fat measurements or circumferences to your physique, mm-hmm. then we address it again. And it's only it's trial and error. Nothing is a hundred percent dialed in. Nothing yeah. is, you know, set in stone. It's all about kind of a flexible approach. And if you're able to adjust it and not get kind of really dialed into those numbers, that's when you have the success. If you don't adhere to that, a you've got yourself to blame for that. But also, point two is just lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> Love it when that happens. Go, you can go with, you can go with it. Um, it'll come back to me at some point. But yeah, yeah that's the easiest one. Go body weight in pounds multiplied by twelve. Give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, and it's important that point that you mentioned that it's not set in stone. It's a starting point. Like all of these equations, no matter how fancy the equation is, like if you take the Harris Benedict, which is take age and weight and forget what else into account it's still a best guess like it's a line of best fit and there's nothing to say that you sit on that line you could be above it or below it but what's important is that you stick to it for long enough to gauge whether that number works um and if you've made no progress at all at least you've been consistent enough and built up some good habits to be able to be consistent and then you can drop it by 10 percent or increase it by 10 percent if you're being too aggressive or whatever um, yeah, it's known that it's a starting point and kind of figure it out from there. Be consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm going to throw a curveball in as well. Like a lot of the time, I don't put I don't put clients into a calorie deficit to begin with. I put them on a calorie maintenance because yeah. nine times they're overeating in the first place. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be a client, right? They wouldn't yeah. be here to overweight. So by putting them in, putting a client in a calorie maintenance is just going to not be such a shock to the body. Not a shock to their um, portion sizes and portion control is something that's very manageable and they can still operate on a day-to-day basis 100% of the time the way they felt before but yeah. there's more of a more of a conscious effort controlling the calories that they're consuming sure it, again it comes down to building their awareness doesn't it it's yeah. that's the the name of the game right uh, five down well, well i think going from calorie deficit um, the next logical thing for me would be to talk about protein because those are the two things that I get people to look at when, as an awareness factor. Fats and carbs generally can look after themselves. Yeah. But if you're 
if you're looking at the hierarchy, um, calories are, when I say king, I also mean queen, just in case anybody questions it. <laughs> or queen. Um, and protein is number two. Protein is straight under. So if clients are adhering to calorie intake and consuming a relatively high protein diet, yep. that's, that's the magic right there. That's where the fats and carbs take care of themselves. You don't need to worry too much about that. Just focus on the first two. Yeah. And again, an easy equation to work out what your protein intake should be is um, your body weight that you're currently at um, in well, kilos. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there <laughs> and multiply it by one. <laughs> yep. Is that right? Two. That's just that's two. 1.5 is what I do normally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to make the mistake of trying to go too high with protein with clients. And it yeah. meant that particularly for women who tend to be smaller, there was not a lot of room for extra calories in there. So yeah. um, I now use a range of, of kind of 1.5 to 2. Um, if you're anywhere in that range, you're a win. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, 1.5 is really about the minimum that people can go with and, and still see some good progress. Yeah. So just to clear that up, it's 1.5 grams per kilo of body weight, minimum two for maximum to yes. begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is that you, you, you can go higher than that without there being any issue, but it comes down to how sustainable the approach is. You know, the higher the protein content, the lower the remaining calories are for carbs and fats and it's carbs and fats that are going to help you stay on track right it's, it's the foods that you like um so yeah yeah but going lower than that and you're not really going to get the benefit the that you need um, yeah. i think to complement what we're talking about generally as a rule of thumb um per meal you know it's the easiest way to focus in on it People are always like, oh, well, I don't have any protein for breakfast or, you know, most of my protein comes from evening meals where you're having like your chicken or your fish or your beef or whatnot. Yeah. But it's super easy to incorporate protein into your diet. And it doesn't necessarily always have to come from protein powdered supplements, which if you do struggle to get protein into your diet is the easiest way to supplement your diet. But one thing I always stress is that it is a supplementation. Mm -hmm. um, you need to look at, you know, the food quality first. And a lot of foods out there, when you make a conscious effort to start consuming um, more protein in your diet, it's actually incredibly easy. You know, yes. there's yogurts out there um, that cost next to nothing. There's, you know, ready to, ready to eat, already cooked chicken and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, if you're a vegetarian, um, down the vegetarian route, there's so many options as well. It's not like it's, it's, people shouldn't struggle, but because it's just changing an aspect of an individual's diet, that's where the... The roadblock almost comes from it's, it's change and people used to eating a certain way so all we're doing as coaches is showing you an alternative route that's going to complement your overall goal in the end yeah and i think from a coach's point of view the, the the smaller the changes we can make the easier they are for the client to to put into practice like if you try to completely overhaul everything it can be very very difficult for anybody to implement um so if we can make these, these tiny little simple changes, um, it makes it a lot easier for people to stick to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Great point. Right. 
I am going to go with stress management. Oh, it's like a, you know, what's that thing in the bingo? Is it a tombola? I kind of feel like that's what we're doing. There's a certain amount of cohesiveness to what we're saying, but it's like... <laughs> Picking out stuff. It's, it's, it's almost like the... Uh, you ever been to like a, an event where they've had a raffle? Yeah, yeah. Like people can go and pick their own prizes when they get a winning ticket. It's like all the good stuff goes first. And then you're like scraping around an empty table to see what's left. <laughs> but all these points are important, right? It doesn't, I mean, we put them in this order just because that's what we're, we're looking at. But, you know, all of these points are important. And you might find that you're nailing the first five, but points number six through nine are the ones where you need to, to do some work. Yeah. So stress management, uh, point number seven. This one's huge, I think, um, because stresses come from all sorts of different places. So you can have family stress, you can have financial stress. You've got, I mean, COVID has been a massive stress event, you know, working from home, financial worries, you know, not being able to socialise. Um, but then you've also got stresses like lack of sleep, the, like lack of nutrition, like over-caffeinated, too much screen time. Um, you know, work stress has gone through the roof for a lot of people um, because they're working from home and all that sort of stuff. But then you throw workouts on top of that. And I know that some people want to attack workouts as a way to release stress, but you've got to still be able to recover from that for it to have a positive effect. Um, so stress management can be massive. Um, and I've seen this with a few clients that, you know, they're doing all the right things, but they're not seeing the results that they want to see. Um, because when you get super stressed, one of the things that can happen is you can, can um, get a lot of water weight gain. Um, it's one of the kind of side effects of, of how, kind of being a high stress lifestyle. Um, so getting that under control is a massive thing for a lot of people. So some tips for that would be focus on sleep, try and build a good sleep routine. Um, because sleep is literally like the, the best de-stressor that you can get. Um, cut down your screen time, build routine so that your, your days have a structure to them and you're not just kind of bouncing around floating through the day. Um, focus on trying to improve your food quality. Um, and then also thinking about how recovered you are when you go into a workout. So if you're feeling super stressed and you go into a workout, it's maybe not the best day to kick the beans out of it. It's the day to focus on movement quality and drop the loads a wee bit and just move and feel better. Um, you've seen this as many times as I have, no doubt, that um, you know sometimes clients come in, they're really stressed, they're not feeling the workout at all, they don't want to be there, and they're probably in a bit of a grump coming into the session but you tone down the session intensity you work through everything you increase rest times you maybe drop a set or two off and they go walking out the door like they're floating on air they feel great after it because they've just moved um so yeah being able to adapt your training and diet intensity to your lifestyle stress um is massive you know, just taking the foot off the gas a little bit can, can free up a bit of space and, and everything feels a little bit better. Um, but getting your stress under control can be a, a massive one for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, um, you know, to add a little bit more of a 
kind of a hippie holistic um, entry into that stress management. There's there's other things that you can do as well. I think you know all those points that you mentioned about stress management are 100% valid. Um, but also the triggers that make you stress. What is making you stressed? Is it work? Is it relationship? Yeah. Is it financial issues? Is it COVID? If you don't know what the trigger is, then it's going to be very difficult to pinpoint and isolate how you can improve on it. So journaling, I found, has been a super beneficial way for, for me to get through the last kind of 18 months, two years, is by just writing a few thoughts down. It doesn't have to be massive long stories or sentences. Mm-hmm. Just brain dump whatever you have, whatever's making you feel lower, whatever's making you feel, you know, stressed, just pop it down. And I think we as humans are very we're always looking to better ourselves. We're always looking to improve ourselves, which can add more stress onto it. But if we just acknowledge it and go, okay, like work's stressful. Can I do anything about this myself? If the answer is no, try and reframe it and rewire your process and thinking, okay, can I delegate? Can I hand out? Can I get other people to, to come on and help me or other team members? Or can I speak to my boss or my manager? To say that I'm not coping with this, and it's it's not a sign of weakness, and it's um, if anything, it's a sign of strength that's going to get you through it. So that's an alternative route to kind of pinpointing the stress management issues that quite often we we overlook. Yeah, great point. Great point. Um, right. You, men- you mentioned uh, kicking kicking the beans out of workouts when you're stressed. <laughs> I really like the, the add-on to this. So I think we're going to talk about um, not cutting any foods out. Again, I'm on this, I'm on this trajectory. On <laughs> okay. So not cutting any beans out. Not you know, kicking the beans out. <laughs> Where are you going with this? You know? Yeah, got it. You don't need to cut foods out. You know, yeah. you don't need to cut foods out your diet. I think when people start any kind of diet or weight loss or fad diet it's so restrictive and it's the restrictive nature of these diets that restrict people and make them fail you know they're setting themselves up for failure so they can then buy into the next tier or the next package that's going to promise them the same things that the first ones did yeah now if i was to say to you dave i know you like donuts um to lose weight, you mm-hmm. have to cut out donuts completely. That's going to be an issue to you. It damn right it is. That's going to be a problem. I'm creating a barrier for your for, for your lifestyle. Yeah. So the way I treat it, and I'm sure the way you treat it with your clients as well, is rather than cutting it out completely and making yourself miserable every time you see a donut or want a donut, manage it. So in terms of have a donut, but just have the one rather than the two or have one every other day. If you have one every day, you know, there's ways you can incorporate into your lifestyle. And, you know, a lot of the time it's chocolate for people. It's snacks. It's snacks are great. Snacks aren't bad. There's no good food or bad food. And I think I've mentioned this before. We add the emotion to food. Food is emotionless. Mm -hmm. So when we kind of realize that we can go, right. Okay. I've having a pretty crap day going back to the stress management I'm going to have a Snicker or a Mars or whatever today. That's going to make me feel good. Crack on. Enjoy it. But just understand that the next day doesn't have to be the same as what the previous day was. The next day is a new opportunity.
opportunity, a new beginning. And yes, you may be going through a super stressful time, but there's other ways in which you can manage it. So when it comes to cutting foods out of your diet, I don't recommend doing it um, at all because you don't get the adherence um, from the individual. And if anything, it makes them resent you a little bit because you're cutting out your, their favorite foods. So yeah. keep it in it nice and straightforward, nice and simple, cut back. And it's boring to say, None of these tips are groundbreaking, but it's all in moderation, right? I think that's the ultimate kind of ethos and mantra to this uh, podcast. It's every do everything within moderation, right? Yeah, yeah. The one of the ways that I've been thinking about this particular point recently is whether food is situationally appropriate or not. Oh. Um. And clearly, I need to think about it a little bit more. But for example, like if you're out with friends for coffee and cake, like you're not going to whip out a Tupperware of chicken and broccoli. You know, it's not situationally appropriate, but going into a workout, I need to think about it more, but it's, it's whether what you're eating is appropriate for the, the time that you're eating it. But it's not saying that food is bad or good. It's whether it's going to do the job you want it to do at the time. You know, yeah. if you're wanting, if you're, you're having a crap day and you want um, a donut because screw it, the day's crap and you want something to cheer you up, that donut is probably situationally appropriate. But it's maybe not appropriate at another time through the day. Hmm. See, I need to think about this a little bit more, but it, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's finding the balance between enjoyment of food and it doing its job, I think. Yeah, I think you've actually executed pretty well. Food, food is very situational and yeah. foods is, you know, perfect situational examples would be um, boredom, boredom eating. Break at the laptop, go to the snack cupboard, right? That is a situation that mm. you find yourself in because you're bored it's not your it's not your stomach telling you that you're hungry it's your mind telling you that you're hungry because you've got nothing better to do yeah. so if you're data crunching or number crunching what's so obvious it's going to go get something nice go get a coffee and go get a bite to eat and the bite yeah. to eat generally with a coffee is a is a biscuit right but um, that's a situational thing so what people can look at doing is how do you break those kind of situational scenarios too? Whilst they're okay, mm-hmm. but if that's something, if that situational scenario is happening more than periodically throughout the day, that's where it becomes an issue. Yeah. So setting up blocks, like putting, uh, changing your snack cupboard to a different cupboard mm-hmm. is one. Thing. Putting some um, fruits in front of your snacks is another because you have to bypass the actual what people would class as nutrient dense food to go to the high calorie food, you have to bypass it. So you're setting up kind of little triggers. Go and have this, go and have the snack, go and have the sugary snack, but grab the apple as well. Mm. You know, apple's going to do more, have more benefit, but you're also getting the, what you're after. And it's the, it's the sugar, right? It's the, it's everything that has, has. So, 
Um, but situation foods and situational scenarios, going out for dinner with your friends and your family. Yeah, of course. Like, don't don't be that person that restricts it because not only are you being that being that kind of can I say it loser that's you know purely just eating salad on a night out. Like, why? When you don't, especially when you don't want to. Yeah, it's like come on, like life's too short to be restricting yourself from that. That's that's boring. That's that's terrible banter for a start. Like. People are just going to go, oh, yeah, you're the fitness person or you're a fitness geek or, yeah, you're on this. Nah, don't be that guy. Don't be that person, that girl. You know, just go and enjoy a burger. <laughs> the thing is, as well, like, we, we, we look at this stuff and we, we worry that one meal or one snack is going to throw us off track completely, and it won't. Because if that's one meal out of a week of, yeah. of relatively good eating, it, it, it's not going to change the average that much. But think of the positives that you're going to get out of it out of, of enjoying the meal with your friends or your family or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think context makes a big difference yeah, to, to the food that we eat um, and, and the associations that we have around it, but not being, not cutting anything like that out and, and being more um, mindful, I think, about what we're eating and why we're eating it. Definitely, definitely. And I think... Um, kind of going into the last point now, because I think we've absolutely nailed that one, is um, what everybody really wants to hear, and that's workout resistance yeah. training, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, it is the it literally is the best thing, you know, for for so many different levels. Yeah. Um, we can touch on stress relief. It's good for that. It's good for improving your energy levels it's good for toning up which you know is the vocabulary a lot of people are after mm -hmm. um for reducing body fat it's, it's so good for everything but to get to get the physique that you're after you have to incorporate that into your into your habits into your routines into your week yeah. and it doesn't have to be you know an hour and a half two hour gym session doing back and buys or chests and tries you know that's very kind of like old school mentality what we can look at is doing full body movements compound movements that are going to incorporate and include a lot of the muscles in the body that are going to accelerate your overall um, physique yeah of course yeah. do kind of isolation work and focus on certain areas of your body of course but just be aware that you cannot also fat reduce you cannot choose where that happens you know it happens overall so just because you're wanting to lose weight around your stomach doing sit-ups isn't going to do that it's going to get you a good core but you can only see the core you can only see your abdominals when you start to reduce your body fat yeah and that's going to help with the other points that we've mentioned in this podcast yeah i think with the workout one is people seem to think that the results are going to come really really quickly it's like if i have salad every day for a week i'm going to get i'm going to lose weight but that's not how it works. It's 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 a much slower progress. And it's kind of falling in love with the process of working out and seeing those weekly, sometimes tiny little improvements in performance kind of stack up over a long, long period of time to really see significant progress. But when it comes to fat loss, maintaining as much lean mass as you can through resistance training and enough protein. Um, it's what is going to be the biggest game changer for a lot of people in terms of the exercise side of things. Definitely, definitely. Um, and, you know, as far as, you know, resistance training versus cardio, if you've got time for both, happy days. If you don't have time for both, 
go for resistance training every single time um, because that is going to give you a much bigger bang for your buck long-term um, than cardio will. Also not to neglect it, though. No, no. I mean, cardio is important, but if you had to choose from a time perspective, what you'd maybe do is, like, if you know you only have 45 minutes per session, make 35 minutes of it lifting heavy things yeah. and then hit, do some hit to finish it that last 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. I think a lot of people um, will... I remember one specific scenario with a client who um, wanted to con- wanted to run. She wanted to run for days. And, then, you know, running was great. You know, it's, it's what she enjoyed doing. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. you're going to get to... To get better at running mm-hmm. or the same effect as you did at the beginning, you have to run further and you have to run harder and you have to run for longer, essentially, right? Yeah. When you do resistance training, strength training, um, oh, and another point to mention, when you're doing cardio, you're only burning the burning calories whilst doing it. Yeah. When you do resistance training, when you do strength training, you, as you said, you get more bang for your buck. But the reason you get more bang for your buck is because you are, you know, encouraging the body to adapt, to change under stress. But mm-hmm. also after the session is complete, what happens? Your recovery. Body, yeah, recovery. But your body still is burning the calories as part yeah. of the recovery process as well. It's that kind of, I think, um, was it Alan Cosgrove called it afterburn? It's, yeah, I mean, it's only a matter of time before somebody actually coined it or something. Yeah, um, and it's not maybe as big as some people market it to be, but it's oh. still an elevated amount of calories that you're going to burn for up to, I think it's up to 48 hours post-workout. Um, uh, but yeah, it's... Um, and to go back to that running thing, sometimes what runners need to do is actually step back the running a little bit, build up some more strength so they become more powerful, more efficient runners. Um, and ironically, running a little bit less, adding in some weight training to make you more powerful will improve your running far more than just trying to do more miles uh, will do. So, um, but again, that's a podcast we could go in for, you know, a good hour long chat on. Um, yeah. Well, just to touch on it, just to touch on it super quickly, anybody who thinks that is not true, um, I can guarantee you is 100% true um, through the triathlons I do myself. The only way you can get better at cycling and running and swimming is by doing and lifting weights. Yep. Get stronger, get more efficient, get more powerful. And if you look at any elite athlete, they all lift. They lift massive heavy weights, but they all lift. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that was pretty comprehensive. That was that was nine gems of. That was yeah. I think um, I think the cool thing is take what you need. Don't try and implement this all at once. And yeah. um, one thing that I that I essentially. Oh, I think we're frozen. Are we frozen? Um, I don't know if anybody can hear me right now. Um, the, oh, you're back. Yep. It's all you about froze. the minimum. You froze. Um, what, were you going, what were you saying there? Because that, that just froze completely at my end. So I don't know if the recording got it. 
Uh, well, I could, I could still hear you, so I hope it did, but I'll repeat it. Um, it's all about the minimum effective dose. You know, pick what you need and execute. And yeah. then when you start seeing changes. Oh, we've frozen again. Anyway, I think Callum can hear me. Um, I'll pop all these notes into the blog post and the show notes. And my neighbours just started as Harley. So you could, can you hear that in the background? Can you hear that? The Harley? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I'm just going to close this window a second. It's a beautiful bike, but it's noisy as shit. Um, I don't know if I can say that on this podcast. You just did. It's your podcast. Just did. Um, anyway, whatever. Um, yeah, because I mean, I can guarantee that out of that list of nine, most people are at least doing two or three of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so there might be just another couple of points just you need to implement to kind of push you over the edge and start seeing better results and more results kind of going forward. Um, but you're right, it's minimum effective dose. Take the, take the smallest changes and the smallest um, tactics to put into play to get you the result that you want. Cool. Grant, second podcast in the bag. That was um, good. I enjoyed that one. Good, good, yeah. A lot of uh, lot of helpful tips there. Yeah. So just remind us again, where can we find more, Callum, should we want it? Yeah, definitely. So through the website at www.cdfitnesscallumduffyfitness.co.uk and through Instagram, Callum Duffy Coaching and Facebook, Callum Duffy Coaching. Um, I'm sure Dave will put them in the in the show notes as well, direct links to the media but yeah as always Dave it's been an absolute pleasure love chatting to you about all this stuff and uh yeah let's uh I've already got some ideas for the next ones written down based on what we said awesome um I think we'll try and record another one this week huh yeah sounds good all right cool um right we'll wrap up there take it easy and we'll be back next week if you have any questions guys just send us a message um, either through our websites, through our emails, um, or through social media, where you both be able, you get both of us. Um, links for those are both are, oh, Jesus are in the show notes. Um, I've not had lunch yet. I think I'm starting to get a bit faint. Well, let's go get some food. Absolutely. <laughs>